Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Jane Henry, who is an alumna of the Walton College, before it was called the Walton College, and she is the founder and CEO of See Her Work, which is a lifestyle brand that aids women in non-traditional work environments with clothing and equipment. And it's designed specifically for women. We're going to talk more about that. Uh, earlier in her career, uh, she worked as a consultant for Accenture, and she worked for Enron, and she also is an executive coach. Thank you so much for talking with me, Jane. It's my pleasure, Dean. And I got to tell you, you've got a radio voice. This is great. I understand why you do podcasts. (laughs) I I didn't know that. Well, you know, Jane, uh, one of the reasons, I mean, you're you're really an amazing entrepreneur and um, one of the three strategic endeavors of the Walton College is entrepreneurship. In fact, we just started a brand new academic department called the Department of Strategy, Entrepreneurship, and Venture Innovation. But it's it's focused on entrepreneurship and innovation. Um, it, it actually is official starting in January, this new department. Wow, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so now we, we went from seven departments to eight. <laughs> and, um, and I think, but it also is a, it's a um, strategic endeavor of Northwest Arkansas. They're trying to develop the entrepreneurial ecosystem. But when I heard about your... Uh, company, see her work, I thought this is such a good example of entrepreneurship because the entrepreneurial mindset, you know, is looking for problems that exist Mm -hmm. and then figuring out how to solve them. And it always is much harder than anyone expects. (laughs) Would you agree with that? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, because the idea generation is the fun part, right? It's kind of like, let's throw a bunch of spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. Now, you know, I've gone through a couple of companies now. And um, and one of the things, and I appreciate you calling me an entrepreneur, uh, both my parents were entrepreneurs. I said I would never be one. I was like, that is way too hard. And then um, just recently finally accepted the fact that I'm a serial entrepreneur, you know. Uh, but one of the things they talk about in, the, to me, there's very distinct phases of entrepreneurship. Um, and the first one I like to call is my baby ugly, right? And it's like you have the idea, but you should spend a month trying to figure out if your idea is a bad one or not. You should kill your idea first before anybody else does. And that's one of the things we did with See Her Work. I took, um, put my idea down to paper. I'm a huge fan of the strategizer and the business model canvas. Oh, my goodness, stuff's great. And uh, took that and shopped it across the U.S., 50 focus groups, and tried to kill the idea before somebody else did. So that was kind of the first one, which is, you know, that's not, I would, and I, and when I talk to, to different groups about this, I'll bring these things up because I don't believe that entrepreneurship is strictly external. I believe the internal aspect of it and the intrapreneur is just as important. And it's the same exact concepts, right? I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. And. I think companies are starting to realize this. I mean, I know Walmart, for example, is really trying to bring in a lot of this through 
their product management mm -hmm. and so forth, and really trying to understand the customer's journey. Yeah, big companies are even viewing it like that as well. Well, I, I've seen the same thing. I, you know, before, you know, they'll give a, 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 an idea, any kind of funding or resources, they have to complete these business model canvases, right? There are other groups that then, you know, allocate a certain percentage of the employee's time to just, you know, continue, maybe it's, you know, 10% of their time, right, to just continue to innovate and bring these idea, ideas forward. Um, but to your point on, you know, the difficulty level, uh, I also talk about through these phases, and to me I have six distinct ones that I cutely named. You know, in the first phase of, you know, is my baby ugly, your hustle isn't that much because you can kind of guide, you know, kind of glide into it and take your time because you want to be able to, it, you know, killing an idea is actually success as well. But the next phase, which I call survival, is about really creating awareness. And for see her work, I often say, this is where your cray cray needs to come out because, you know, people follow crazy. And if you're really going to get something done, you got to introduce a little cray cray. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, after you've completed phase one, you, you can hear no's because you're such a believer at that point. You're, you, you haven't killed your idea. It's okay to get a thousand no's or whatever, right? And when we started See Her Work, I mean, I immediately started talking to distributors, to employers, the traditional supply chain approach as a manufacturer, and no one was buying it. In fact, did many pitch competitions, got kicked out of pitch competitions because people would just Google women's workwear, find something online, and go, oh, it already exists. Not really understanding the problem with six million women putting their lives at risk and rapidly growing since 2016, you know, that the issue that we have behind it. Jane, we were thrilled to select you as the Walton College Alumni Entrepreneur of the Year. And, uh, you know, after we met and talked, I could just hear and see entrepreneurial mindset all over you. And so uh, we're thrilled that on April 23rd, you're going to receive the award at the Alumni Banquet. And then the, or the day before, we're going to have you speak to uh, our students as well. So thank you for agreeing to do that. But I want to get back to something you said uh, earlier, and that is um, you had mentioned uh, the canvas. Mm -hmm. You really like the canvas approach. Mm -hmm. um, and different people apply that in different ways. Would you mind telling us a little bit about how you view it? So as far as my consulting background goes, it was drilled into us. We always had to have a project plan, right? Schedule, right? How are we doing on the schedule? And we also believe that as soon as we hit save, the plan would change, but we needed to at least have a plan. Um, for me, the business model canvas is that one-page plan that you can get everybody on board with. Um, I love the way that they sequentially step you through the development of it in a way that you, you start with your customers and then go out to fill the other aspects to have a well-rounded you know, business model that you can continue forward with. I will tell you, I still use that plan today. Yeah, I'm a big believer. So Jane, how, at what point did you recognize the, the problem? Okay, so you know, post oil, we had, um, I had a very large consulting business. I said very large, but for Houston and being a boutique firm, um, after leaving Accenture, you know, went to Enron and then had to find something new after that, I started my own company. And uh, 
refused to hire um, any employees for a long time because I was very fearful of what had happened at Enron happening to me. So I literally Googled women business owners because I thought, well, if I can ask some dumb questions, I might feel comfortable asking them. And they were great, found a little organization. Um, <laughs> I say it's a little organization, 16,000 women business owners, owners, 250 corporations that support them. They beat me around a little bit, had me hire my first employee, and we, we took off like a rocket ship. Um, 2010 to 2015, my first uh, company uh, grew exponentially, was in, you know, recognized um, by Inc. Magazine multiple times, innovator, this, this sort of thing. And we had 35 consultants. And wouldn't you know, oil price, and, and I was trying to diversify, right? And it was already getting into healthcare, but you know, when oil price hits, it hits hard and quick. And um, my worst nightmare came true. So I found 35 of my employees' jobs. And I was out looking on what I was going to do. And I kept thinking about how do I use my skill sets? Maybe I should go back to industry. Like I said, I was struggling with this idea of should I continue on with entrepreneurship? I felt like I'd failed in such a big way. So I went back to school to get my MBA. And just you know, partially through my first year of my MBA school, I get hit by Hurricane Harvey. And I had been kind of looking for a product-based business. I didn't expect one to fall literally on top of me with all that water. So my home was flooded, three feet of water. And it wasn't just water, it was mud. It was the nastiest uh, stuff you can think of. I lost everything, my clothing, you know, three paid off cars. Luckily, I, we had flood insurance, um, but my insurance broker kept my check for four months. Our payout was so large that I did not get any cash. So you can imagine, as a consultant, not there wasn't a lot of consulting work available in Houston at the time. And so I had volunteers for the first week, and then after that, I called it dialing for dollars. All those guys that I and gals that I made lots of money for that owned construction companies or were engineers or whatnot, I called them to start asking questions. And it was kind of like, yeah, hey, Fred, is this wall structural? On FaceTime, right? Jane, you know I can't do that. Ah, I don't want that right now. I'm just, I'm just making a plan, just making a plan. <laughs> and I uh, was working and, you know, spray painting my new floor layout just to keep my, you know, my ideas going on, you know, trying to stay positive about the whole situation. And um, so I'm doing that and then I'm continuing to muck out, pulling out cabinets and I'm going to go throw a board into the dumpster and my uh, unisex leather gloves, um, you know, come, you know, as I'm throwing the board, fly off. The board comes back, hits my hand and, you know, pins it between the wall and, um, and, you know, and the board. And I guess I just needed to get mad at something at that point. I had been putting on a, a proud face, I guess, for a while. And I got really angry at the glove. And I got really angry at the fact that I couldn't find anything to fit me. Um, mind you, I'm also a Division One athlete for the U of A. Uh, I have with six brothers and two sisters. There was no way I was going to college without a full scholarship. So thank you for that. <laughs> but what I tell everybody is being a lady's large athletic glove um, and knowing what it takes to perform at a high level, you know, looking at that glove was just completely angered at the safety situation and the performance situation of the glove. So luckily, one of my hobbies, I love to sew. Um, I, uh, went upstairs and we've got these little tools called a ripper. I ripped the seam out of the glove. I repatterned the glove, turned it inside out, you know, remade it for me. 
and then, uh, like you do in the industry, clipped it to my uh, my pants with a carabiner clip and went back to Lowe's. And uh, I was in Lowe's, and I'll never forget, a lady stopped me and said, hey, where'd you get those? And she's pointing at my gloves, and I said, Frankenstein's, I just made them. And then, I, and then it hit me. And she's like, we need to talk. And so she brought me back to my first site to speak to some of the women. And I started to hear the stories about pant sizes that are male-shaped patterns shrunken down. And, you know, and, it's, and I'm sitting there going, my goodness, I've been in oil and gas now for, at the time, you know, it was closer to 15 years, now 20 years. And it was like, how come this never occurred to me before? And so I'm looking at this and I'm realizing how exhausted I am at the end of the day by just grabbing at things or having to just take the gloves off to, to perform. And that's the story I started hearing. Um, inevitably, you know, at the, the height of the interviews, we'd have 50 to 15 to 20 women in each session, plus a supply chain professional, plus a safety professional. And um, I'd already prepped the safety professional on what I'd seen in some other areas and asked his, his or her permission on, you know, is it okay if you allow them to speak freely? And uh, so anyway, I'd start with a question. What do you think about women's PPE or personal protective clothing equipment? And they would get kind of pouty and their lips would get stuck out a little bit and they'd rearrange themselves in the chair and they would look at the safety professional with like these beady sharp eyes and they'd go, may I speak openly? And the safety professional's going, yep, yep. We are tired of pink it and shrink it. In fact, if you make anything pink and put it on your website, we'll shoot you between the eyes. I said, oh, I value my life. Thank you for that little feedback. <laughs> <laughs> and they would go on and they would tell me about some of the challenges. The firefighters, the female firefighters, are getting burnt on the back because of the pant problem. Pants falling down so the um, tanks and the equipment are overheating and burning them on the back. Um, but I created one of the first bras. It's, an, it's a um, high neck, I call it the debris protect bra, because the women would tell me about the things that would fall on the front, right? And I said, so, you know, I'm doing construction, and I got the sawdust, sometimes nails. Like, it's like, it's falling on the front. I said, what do you do? And they would go, well, we live with it. And I was like, for 14 hours? And one of them says, oh, honey, I'm a firefighter, it's 24 hours. And I'm like, oh, we got to fix that, right? And so it's just little things like that that seem minor but need to be thought about, especially as we continue to see the labor shortages that we have in the trades. And it's, and it's only going to grow. So for every five baby boomer that retires, only one enters. And we're not tapping into 50% of our population. So did you focus on a narrow persona to start with? Did you start broad? So what I did is after interviewing all the different industries, I found the construction industry to have generically the base level items that everybody needed, right? And um, so I focused in on there. And then I looked at the type. And, um, and this was another thing as far as bringing awareness to folks. They're typically, you know, five foot, maybe a little bit taller than that, and athletic as all get out, really strong. And so, you know, as I was going out and creating awareness, what are the perceptions I received? People are like, yeah, Jane, we get it, but how many people look like you? 
And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you know, you're strong. You're athletic. I'm like, they all do, you know, and only to be validated by, you know, one call I got from a global construction company. It was probably six months after I started, so I was just getting going. And he says, you know, Jane Henry, I got your name from, you know, another energy company, let's just say. We're a global construction firm. I've been trying to do this dang women's PPE program for an entire year. I'm a, you know, six foot over 200 pound man. Uh, My women are maybe, you know, five feet and a buck 35. Uh, I've asked all my suppliers to send me what they got. If it fits me, it ain't going to fit them. What can you do? And I laughed so hard, but that was the great, you know, short story. And I said, you know, Chris, if, if I do well here, can I use that story again? And he said, absolutely. And so I put a package together, sent it off. And he said, yep, that'll do. How do we get going? A lot of new entrepreneurs underestimate how much you really need to understand the customer and, and narrow it down. Correct. It's a lot of work, isn't it? It is huge. And then for me, even though I narrowed it down to there, they weren't my true customer. So yes, those are, those are my customer in a sense of that's my end user, um, but in the sense of who's going to buy um, and, and, you know, in these organizations, you know, I talked about earlier about how I went to distributors. Well, distributors are like, no one's asking for it. We don't really know what to do. We can't help you. And so I'm like, okay, well, I know there's a need. So I, I, you know, then I said, well, then if I, maybe if I come out this thing with a big bang, you know, get the awareness out there, maybe we could start at least talking about it and see if we can do something different. During, during that time frame, uh, continue to try to raise awareness and talk to people and really get to who are my customers. And turns out it's the safety professionals, but they don't know it. And the reason why they don't know it is Safety professionals are a hugely underserved market. So I started hanging out at safety conventions, safety events, and I'm talking to them and I, I say, so you go to a site and you assess what your employees need to stay safe, right? Yes. And I said, okay, so how does that work, right? And well, you know, you ought to take an OSHA class and kind of, you know, learn some of those things. And I said, okay, I did. And so I took an OSHA 30 class, got my certificate, my card. And, you know, with all the best intentions in the world, OSHA says there are, are three, you know, hierarchies to safety, right? You've got your engineering controls, making sure that uh, barriers are up, um, that there's good ventilation, those sort of things. You have your administrative controls, which is about leadership and training. And then you have PPE or protective personal clothing and equipment. And they say PPE is your last line of defense, right? Well, I started saying last slide of defense, but first opportunity for inclusion. So you used their phrase, right. they all know, and, <laughs> and adapted it to include your, I guess, mission to some degree. Uh, absolutely, right? So that was my a big aha was, number one, the priority job drops accidentally with the best intentions of the world by OSHA training, right? Um, so how do we bring more awareness to, yes, last line of defense, we get it, engineering administrative controls are very important but this is also about inclusion which means we got to get them fitted in well fitting gear right the second one is just that that need for individual fit was another challenge so i started talking more to these safety professionals i even got a call from a gentleman he said hey do you do female harnesses i said you know yes sir i can connect you the right individuals for that um 
can you tell me how tall they are and how much they weigh? And he says, ma'am, I've only lived as long as I have lived because I don't ask a woman those questions. <laughs> and I was like, what a great example of an unconscious bias, right? This no ill intention whatsoever. And I was like, you are too cute for words, you know? But just to me, again, screamed at the need for better systems and processes by the employers. You know, the first time we talked about this, that was one of the reasons why I thought you were an entrepreneur when you you did so much to understand the problem, mm -hmm. who the customers were, and you were willing to take criticism and morph and pivot and not just stick to one thing and you know keep keep going. You've 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 done that really well. And that's that's gotta be one of the most important parts of entrepreneurship. I would agree. And I think, you know, I've also learned with a lot of the newer companies that are coming along, um, you know, take Bomba socks, right? Uh, I think the mission is also very important. And so for me, while I had identified this customer set, you know, of these females in non-traditional careers, right? Um, my mission was to reduce injuries, save lives, and attract more women into these careers that were experiencing labor shortages. And I was able to use that mission to pivot. Tell us just a little bit about challenges associated with sourcing and finding manufacturing. So one thing I know is I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room, right? My job is to figure out who is and get an alliance with them. <laughs> so very early on, um, I hired a product designer. Um, she had actually researched this exact problem before I had come along for an entire year to present it to a major that shall remain nameless, right? And they just said, sorry, women are just not our core market. And I get it. Because you, can you think about stopping the production line for an unknown need? I mean, it was too uncertain at that time. Um, even when I started this mission, right, it was still a lot of uncertainty. You know, I'll put my gear on and run marathons just so that people will ask me questions. Do you really? I do. I do. I'm a perfect dopey, which means I do the Disney marathon every year. It's a four-day race, 5K, 10K, half marathon, and a marathon, and I do it in full gear. <laughs> Hard hat, helmet, and all, everything. So I haven't done the shoes yet. I don't, I'm not ready to risk yeah, my knees. <laughs> but, but, you know, when I talk about finding an alliance, I want to find an alliance with the shoe manufacturer where I can do a marathon in their work boots. Right. That's a great idea. Right. Well, because if you think about it, they are on their feet that long. And, and that to me was something that was just part of that bigger aha moment. Like we've, we missed that when these, these need to be athletes. Well, thank you so much for taking time to visit with me. Let me ask you, you mentioned employers. What do you want employers to understand? The employers are the folks that need to lead this change. Um, and in order to do that, they need to understand that it's not a, just a change in the products. It's a change in their processes and systems. Um, and it's a big change. If you think about it, it's a 50-year barrier to entry for women. And we're about to experience, just in the U.S. alone, production-wise, 32 million job shortages in these skilled trades. And with a large per uh, percentage of them being in construction and extraction need them to proactively 
think about this now and say that we're going to strategically invest in this so that we attract and retain the top talent. That's all we need. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic. Be Epic.